Okay, we're here today to discuss behaviour management with Johnny Williams, Dan Smith and Scott Cagill. So guys, I've got a number of questions we've kind of worked through. Um, first question, what do you personally um, do to ensure you have a good start to your learning session? Yeah, okay, so it depends on the class, but with a particularly like tricky class, definitely make sure that um, meet them, maybe not like standing by or outside the doorways you traditionally taught, but at least saying hello and giving them little reminders um, when they come through the class, uh, come through the door. Little reminders on the board as to what they need to be doing as they're getting settled. So iPads, books, pens, those sorts of things, ensuring that um, individuals who are generally forget bits and bobs like pens and, and books, they're the first ports of call to ensure they've got those bits and bobs as well. Um, so within sort of four or five minutes, we're all seated and settled um, and we're actually ready to get going with the session. I always like to have like a, a good sort of uh, historical cartoon or a source that they can sort of analyse as they come in, where it's sort of um, printed out and on, on the table so they can sort of, you know, a bit of a hook, something to get them intrigued, like a, a decent sort of hook question to just to get them thinking as soon as they're getting in the room, so they're engaged as soon as they come in, like good behaviour for learning. I think like analysing what uh, Johnny was just talking about, that, that consistency in routines, so if they know that your expectations are exactly the same session in session out they just know that actually when we arrive to sir or mum's lesson that's what the score is and then they're expected to follow it i think if you are not consistent and sometimes you're saying jumpers on sometimes you're not sometimes you're saying bags on the floor sometimes you're not it just then it that's what then breeds that kind of little low level poor behavior where they start the lesson and cause the wheels to come off later on okay so i think Skipping straight to the videos then that we got in the behaviour management podcast folder. Um, hopefully this will bring this <coughs> to life for people a little bit. So Johnny, uh, it says behaviour management clip one for you there, and you've annotated underneath about really explaining exactly what you've just told us. Yeah. So do you want to talk through that clip at all? Or was it? It's it's real it's real basic. I mean, he add into that the fact that the, the kids are coming in and seeing two cameras set up for the first time. So yeah, it is. In, it's a, quite a tricky class. As I say, I think it was it was the start or second lesson, um, but yeah, it's just reinforcing the importance of knowing how to speak to and who to go to first, and how to speak to specific kids. Um, some kids, if they're not getting settled within the first thirty seconds, then you can get a bit agitated or encourage them to do that. Other people, you know, for example, like a Freddie Ambrose, you know for a fact that it's going to be taking him about four or five minutes to get settled because he's going to be faffing about but it will get there eventually so it's given the right people the right amount of time to get mm. settled but i think within that four or five minute window and whilst individuals like freddie for example are getting settled you know as dan said having that starter up on the board that other people can start getting their heads into having a clear direction on the board about what how where they can access the resources so actually when everyone is settled and i'm ready to start They've got, they know where the lesson resources are, they know what the lesson is, they've got everything they need, they've got the title, we can all just start learning. Um, yeah. I think obviously if you watch the first two clips on the in the folder, you'll be able to see kind of what Johnny means with all that. Um, this seems to be a common thread though, Dan, with you and um, Scott, is that start. You, know, you both address things and we picked a couple of clips on there as well. So if people were to look at Scott, um, your clip, which is clip seven there, Again, there's very clear expectations at the start. And what happens on that clip, you know, copped it down, we see learner re-putting that jumper on again. Yeah. So it's the basics, like, so when they come into my lesson, like, they'll often come in without their jumpers on, as they frequently do, but I'll absolutely insist that jumper's put on. And they might ask literally three seconds later to take the jumper off, 
and that's okay and they're okay with it, and that's the routine yeah. but the expectation is paramount there because as soon as you compromise on that then you start compromising yeah. other things and it's interesting um analogy you can hear sometimes is be a broken record often that's a negative thing don't be a broke but actually be a broken, be a broken record, record with those yeah, basically do it do it do it until yeah. they're so bored that you've you've broken them and they're, yeah. they're gonna put the jumper on or whatever and, and stuff like you know just having those really clear expectations yeah. no one is to speak over someone else when they're talking in front of the class yeah. and no one is speaking over me and i'll say that probably a hundred times but then you know the time you've wasted saying that saves you so much more time in the future because you're focusing on the learning you're having good learning discussions and you're not having to stop every five minutes to say don't talk yeah. over me don't talk over anyone else it's that short-term pain long-term gain so in the short term when you first take over a group you might lose 10 15 minutes of time establishing something but actually over the course of the rest of the year once that routine's established the time you gain back is huge rather than losing five yeah. minutes every session for the entirety of the school year you might lose 15 30 minutes in the first couple of sessions going this is it guys this yeah. is what i expect yeah. and then after that yeah. job's done and just do not compromise on it yeah yeah, yeah. those basic expectations yeah. and it's not about yeah. shout you know you're not got to shout to to get those expectations met you know you, it could be just waiting for waiting for it to happen or you know your body language shows you're not happy with yeah. that expectation it, it's not, well, not well, met. talking body language there as well scott your next clip so um guys watching the clips is scott cagle baby management clip two um kind of showed exactly that and i was trying to figure out what was going on when i was watching it first yeah but you know working quietly something had picked up you wandered over and it was just a look yeah just a stare you know and that appeared to have enough impact because they knew what that would mean if they continued doing that so we're not always about shouting and no. okay johnny yeah. i wonder if you could just talk us through now so we i think that's a common thing i start of our lessons how we <coughs> set the expectation up long term but also not compromising on any of that but johnny you picked up on something quite interesting with yours an observation about with ellie oh uh, something yeah. you observed from one of your year 10 learners do you want us to talk through that? Because I thought that was quite a profound well, moment for you. There's a couple of little elements to it. One, like the importance of actually, after you address some low-level behaviour management, actually taking the time to look at how that individual reacted, like genuinely responded to it. And also the, the value of having these cameras in the room, yeah. because the, oh, I wouldn't have spotted this unless I would have actually watched this back. So I'd notice Ellie, Ellie had her back to, has a, the way the seating plan is, she's actually got her back to me, bouncing a few questions around. Saw she wasn't particularly engaged in the, the whole class discussion, um, sort of just low level chat um, with the, the, the two girls opposite her. So I thought, okay, no problem. Direct, uh, directed a question to her. I directed a question to her to try and draw her back in, hoping that would re engage her in the learning. But actually, what I did, <clears throat> looking back at the camera, is that because, because the camera was straight on her face, she didn't know the answer to the question. At, about five minutes after that, she she completely shut down. Like completely shut down. That's what that clip shows. Um, because me trying to pull her back into the conversation and re-engage her, but the fact that she didn't know the answer to the question, it embarrassed her, and she shut down for about five minutes. About sort of four or five minutes before she actually re-engaged in the learning. Um, so, so knowing really knowing your subject <coughs> in depth and detail, so you've got a massive range of questions to address yeah. different individuals at different times yeah. so you're not putting them yeah. on the spot you give them thinking time so yeah. it's not just go quite unexpected answer you know yes we can rule through fear but you've got to have you know good relationship with the kids know what their level is have in the, and then so your expectations of them is so they can meet because if they can't meet it it's like you know there needs to be some level of felt difficulty 
but actually, getting eight, you want kids to be getting eight out of ten on the quiz because that's giving them confidence and a boost. Yeah. And you know, yeah. you don't want to be giving them questions they can't answer. Well, see, I mean, and to be fair, it was it, it wasn't a particularly tricky question. It wasn't that. It was just the fact that at that point in time, I chose the wrong behaviour management style to try and yeah. bring them back in. So, but I mean, the fallout of that was actually now I put her in, I've just moved around. She's not sitting opposite two girls. She's now in a position where she's actually facing me. Which will enable me when I do uh, maybe have to speak to her, I can actually read her body, body language a little bit more, <coughs> yeah. a little bit better, and that'll be able to sort of deal with her a little bit better. But I mean, yeah, it was, it was really interesting just to see how she sort of completely shut down, and that behaviour management style that I tried to apply essentially failed at that point. I think what's particularly good on that is that you've shown how you use that technology as mm. well. That you know, the, the iris that enabled you to do that, and without the iris there. Maybe you wouldn't have noticed that. Or yeah. you'd have taken for granted that she's just yeah. being disruptive. There's, there's no way I would have seen it. No way. Yeah. And I think, I mean, but also, like, on a side note, it kind of highlights how useful the software is as well. Because, I mean, I know how useful it is. Would yeah. I have kind of necessarily got out of my way to speak to you to say, Dave, mm -hmm. can I have the Irish software to fill myself? I can't honestly say that I would have done. But then yep. maybe you had a chat saying, Scott, I'm looking at some behaviour management stuff. Would you mind? And I was like, yeah, happy to sort of thing. And now actually watching my lesson back and seeing that, it's made me even realise like tenfold just how useful it is. Mm. And so I definitely mm. recommend off the back of this exercise that we did for anybody to uh, give it a look in. Okay, so I think we touched on a couple of things there. Um, and I think one of the things you touched on, Johnny, there was about more about the design as well behind it and some of the actual the pedagogy and things. So um, how much do you think, the, you know, obviously we have our own individual styles, behaviour management, our levels of consistency, we put our bar where we put it, um, maybe seating plans, etc. But what do you think that balances with good lesson design as well, learning design? Do you think that is a, like the main ingredient that will ensure the behaviour you want? Or do you think it's a case of, you know, actually you could have a fantastic design, but how that's executed? You know, what do you think some of the pitfalls maybe people make? I think like, if you were to liken it to, so, so say you find an outstanding lesson, but then we asked somebody that was maybe um, an inexperienced cover supervisor on the first day of the job to then deliver it, would that lesson still be as amazing as it could be? Well, it absolutely wouldn't be. So then it's, it's not purely about design. But at the same time, you could rule your lesson like an absolute dictator yes. and the kids could sit there in silence and in fear. That doesn't mean that outstanding mm. learning has taken mm. place. I think they very much go hand in hand. Mm. Whether one's more important than the other, I, I don't know. That's a really difficult question to answer. But I certainly don't think you'll get this amazing lesson without both of them featuring at some level. Mm. No, I agree. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is if you could have designed the greatest lesson ever, but if you don't get the kids in a position where they're going to listen to you telling them what they need to do, how, they to, how they're going to do it, and the, and the resources they need to do it properly, then it's not. they're not going to make progress. They're not going to learn. And that's behaviour management, isn't it? You know, like I say, it's not like screaming and shouting and dictating and people being scared stiff in your, in your sessions. It's <clears throat> them listening to you, like them mm. getting, getting to a point where they respect you enough mm. to listen and then you then trust them enough to be getting on with things. I think um, I think in terms of learning design as well, Dan, you, one of your clips on there mm -hmm. works, it's called Arm Wrestle, yeah. right? Um, obviously, you were working with the Year 9 group, yep. there's a couple of some, characters some in. Challenging, challenging yep. lads in the group that I'm sure you know, people watch the clip, they can see you know, some of the bigger, bigger yep. characters in <coughs> Cohort 9. But, um, and it's a, you know, a difficult concept. We, we literally, I wanted to uh, summarise all of the stages of the First World War 
and why Germany felt they were stabbed in the back by yeah. the politicians who signed the armistice into an uh, into a short little role play. I think role plays are really really good. It's risk it's, it's a risky sort of yeah. strategy when you've got difficult lads, but if they engage well, then the learning really sticks. Yeah. And because they're doing something quite physical, it can really get them yeah. to buy into the learning, buy into yourself. You know, you're taking a risk with them, so they're more likely to take risk with you. Sort of sort of challenge. So they do an arm wrestle to show the different stages yeah. of the First World War, and I've I sort of um, did it. I orchestrated it so that a certain team would lose by the end. They won each round. Germany won the first first round, second round, yeah. third round. But by 1918, they lost the war because America comes in and, yeah. and wins the last round. And you know, I picked lots of interesting characters. We had quite a laugh of it, saying who's you know who's the big Russian bear as you know as one sort of a jokey side, and the kids sort of selected who's going to be different roles. Risky stuff, you know, that yeah. could lead to sort of you know. Not bullying, but you know some unkind comments. But we had a good relation. We've got a good mm. relationship as a class mm. to make sure mm. those sort of comments aren't aren't said. And as you can see from the clip, it went yeah. really, really well. Yeah. All kids really engaged. Yeah. And then the learning that went from that was was so deep, really, really like good stuff. Like you know, Ashley Godley got so he really got a good understanding of the stab, the stab in the back myth that that was the purpose of the of the arm wrestle task. And then his written task after that was like really yeah. really good I, I think what's great there as well you're sh you know you're showing that it's worth the risk and actually people listening to that and watching that clip think i wouldn't want to do that with those kids maybe but actually it's about making that right pedagogical choice yeah. for them and you can see the out the outcome was he was able to do such and such yeah. so you've got to take some risk in there balance that don't yeah. you but i guess you've touched on the relationship being the core cool there yeah i mean you i know. think you know there's lots of risk you can take you, you could have all all kids in a, yeah. in a you know individual seating plan like you know, I don't have a seat in plan like that. I let yeah. them sit with friends, that's a risk. Yeah. I let them sit on group tables, that's a risk. But I know I've got the basics in place yeah. to now enable friendship groups to work effectively, to now group tables to work mm. effectively. And then a further risk on top of that, doing a proper like physical mm. role play. You know, it's about knowing the kids really well, having your basic expectations always being met. If they're not being met, then you can't do those risky stuff. I would say, watching that clip as well, and people would probably feel the same, it's like <coughs> respect. You, you've shown them respect by trusting them to do it. And kids want to be respected, and actually, yes, some will maybe make bad choices. Still, we, you know, we have a trust model here, don't we? But actually, as long as we do something about it when that trust is not met, that's the key, isn't it? But actually, a certain amount of trust in them is gonna, you know, that's respect back, isn't it? Um, I wonder if I just ask you all um, a question here. You might not be able to think of something off the top of your heads, but can you think of a, the most challenging sort of scenario you've had with behaviour management? Or particular, not say the most, but <clears throat> yeah, can you think it, of a scenario in my, in that my was training, yeah. really tested you? In my training, yeah, I was working in some you know central London schools, a school in um, in Enfield was a particular challenge as a sort of you know my f a really really fresh fresh young face and year nine class. All Still got a fresh young face, Dan. Yeah, not not anymore. All the all the lads were sort of you know six foot six foot plus, really you know a massive ethnic mix. There was like twelve different languages. And I, on my, I remember my sort of PowerPoint having like six different languages just like written in from Google Translate just to, for the lesson objectives. Yeah. And then the first sort of the wall of noise that I was met with, and a chair being thrown across the room was my first sort of experience as teaching in this classroom. And the uh, the the teacher that was meant to be supporting me in the lesson just disappeared. So I was literally on my own in that sort of environment straight away, and it scared the absolute crap out of me. But I just really persisted, just yeah. learned the kids' names, did the learned absolute the names, basics, yeah, yeah. so that 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 just didn't let it phase me, which is really tough to do. Mm. But it's just have, having super thick skin and knowing it's not the kids, it's nothing personal. The kids will be like that with anyone, 
Mm. You know, and you've just got to really persist, learn the kids' names, do those absolute basics, build up relationship, build up the trust, mm. set your expectations, and, and you can't always you can't always necessarily go in with an iron fist. Sometimes you need to you know build up over time, and you know kids yeah. aren't gonna with a trainee with an NQT, they're not always gonna have the same. Ex- you know, they're not going to have that same level of respect. You've got to earn that as well as them earn your trust. And I would say high levels of emotional EQ, emotional intelligence, to be able to not take that personally and see it for what it is. <coughs> and do we sometimes get too wrapped up in that emotion yeah, yeah. of it? I mean, that's the thing probably that I definitely got wrong in the early years of my teacher career. And I'm not even coming to get it right all the time. Now is that idea of not taking things personally and, and actually knowing when to go, right, I'm going to kind of remove myself from this situation. Because... At a certain point, if you get yourself at loggerheads with, with a young person, well, actually, they'll perceive it as they've got far more to lose than you do, so they're never going to back down, and then you've got to be the adult in the room and go, you know what, this can be resolved at another moment than now. And I think and that's probably one of the most difficult things to do, because I know I can be quite sort of... Pick your battles. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I, I, my expectations are sky high, and I know they are, but then that can then lead to its own problems every now and again. But you've also got to realise that every now and again you've got to go... This needs to be resolved later. It can't be resolved now. And yeah, that that is a challenge to kind of get that right in your head. And that's left me frustrated at times. But I know, upon reflection, it is the right thing to do. Can I? We're we're sort of running short on time, and I want to get sort of the best out of this podcast. So can I just ask you guys your views or your tips for staff on possibly one of the the biggest things for us in baby management, which is just low level disruption in its different forms. We've kind of touched on it a bit, like beginning of the lesson, minimising things. But what would be your advice, people listening to this, on that low-level disruption or low-level behaviour, slightly under the radar, not our extreme scenarios that mo- we, we have day in, day out? I think how much can all kids access what you are, what, you, what you're, you're selling, what, you know, the lesson that you're doing? Do they value it? And can they access it? You know, sure. so start the lesson. Always sell the learning. Why should they learn what you're doing? Think about that. That's just, always when I'm planning a lesson. Always thinking, why the hell should they learn this topic? What is the value to them? So make sure you're selling that value to them, and then scaffold the learning so they can all access it. So in the in that video, you'll see there's a diagram to show yeah. how to do a P paragraph. That's the last clip in there. And yeah. You know, I've got some kids there that struggle with written tasks, and written tasks is when you're going to get that low-level stuff. So I've got a really simple diagram, really simple scaffolding, really visibly clear how all kids can access that. So then when there is low level stuff, Freddie, stop what you're doing. This is where you, where you put the diagram. Have you got all the way around it? Have you done your, your three steps there? Have you linked it back to the question? You've got a really clear thing you can just direct them back. So when you're stopping the, the low level disruption, you're directing them back to the learning and you've got clear scaffolding support yeah. so they can, so yeah. can access it. Uh, yeah, I would just echo that. I think, in my experience, a lot of the time when you look around a classroom, you see things falling apart a little bit. It's not because the kids have chosen to be lunatics. It's because your design for learning hasn't been great, uh, and you need to be able to adapt quickly to that. You're either going to put something together, stop, reconfirm, okay, discuss, or you're actually going to choose to adapt to the, the learning you've got. You thought you were going to go through with them, and maybe you're going to tweak things a little bit on the spot because generally kids when they come in the classroom they do want to learn but when things start kicking off generally it's because you haven't quite got it right or haven't quite planned it right and you need to be aware of that and you know we, i imagine we were all like that as kids yeah. we were bored easily so you've got to make sure not saying all learning has to be fun but it needs to make it's sure engaging. That it's engaging yeah. yeah i mean that's the thing i think this communication is the absolutely vital as well like if you're dealing with, with youngsters that you know struggle with that kind of the focus and at least that persistent level stuff is always talking to them giving them options and giving them choice yeah. 
and you say, look, if we can't do this, well, this is available and things like that. Or if you can't do that, then obviously we need to do one of these maybe things sort of thing. And I think once you start giving kids that ownership as well over their kind of behaviour and the decisions around it, at the low level side of things, that can manage it so it doesn't get to high level stuff where life becomes so much more stressful. Lovely. Okay, well, we're going to have to finish things off there. Okay, really appreciate your time, guys. And hope you guys enjoyed and found it useful listening to this.